0: Welcome and good morning, Uh, Trinity Bible Church, as well as family and guests who are visiting. Uh, We are continuing in the gospel according to Matthew, uh, as we are remaining in chapter 18, and we'll be here for a couple more weeks. Uh, This morning we are going through particular passages of 15 through 20. Those when people say, I'm about to go Matthew 18 on you is generally the chunk of passages that they're actually referring to. Uh, These, of course, are known for what seems to be a formulaic way of laying out what's known as church discipline. Hopefully, in the weeks leading up to these passages, you've seen that these passages are not separate from the rest of 18, but rather are a part of a longer teaching from Jesus to his, what would become his apostles, and to all his disciples, meaning that, they're tied to the previous uh, teaching on humility. And then they're tied on the idea of Christ as the shepherd and disciples viewing each other uh, in, in in a kind of abundance of love and care. And so then now the teaching will go from those to actually addressing this question... Of what happens when a Christian brother or sister, both now adopted, born again in the Spirit, being sanctified, still sinners, what happens not if, but when they sin against each other? And so then this particular group here, which seems to be the formula, will actually lead to Peter's question in how you close out the chapter of what if my brother sins against me seven times. And so we have what I wanted to kind of perhaps build is show that all of these pieces are connected together. This is not a, a separate group of text to be used in a in a retributive manner. Uh, What we'll talk about today is, is when, not if, when your brother or sister in Christ sins against you. Number one, how are we to approach it? In what manner are we to approach it? And yes, even the formula of how we approach it. Why that that matters in this broad idea of all being sheep of the same flock, all being adopted into the same family, all broken images of God now being molded more and more back into this finished image that looks like Christ. That we won't attain here and now, but we will one day will attain in perfection when Christ returns. So in this, I want to challenge all of us. This idea of church discipline, as you'll see, at its heart is an exercise in love. Loving your brother and sister in Christ. So reading, to show the context of the actual passage, we'll be reading 18 all the way till 20. After um, I finish reading I offer you an opportunity to pray silently. Uh, Consider these words that you hear of Matthew recording the teaching of Christ. Consider in your own heart, perhaps where you are in need of confessing of sin or just generally ordering your thoughts to focus on the Word of God in worship today. After we have this time of silent prayer, I will pray for us corporately and then we will enter into the time of the Word. So reading now, from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 20. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptation to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than two eyes to be thrown in the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that ever went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence or two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the word of God. Please take this time to pray. most gracious, mighty, and perfect Heavenly Father. Grant mercy on your servants this morning, your church, gathered here physically to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ in public worship. Through prayer, through song, through fellowship of the saints, and through the ministry of the word. Lord, we ask that God, the Holy Spirit, guide us as we continue in our time of worship. Lord, illuminate the hearts and minds to your saints, to the truth of your word. Show us the error in our lives. Lord, that me we might repent. That we might repent and turn our affections to Christ. Lord, and allow us to exercise our gifts to edify and lift up and bear the burdens of one another to bring glory to the name of Christ in a fallen world. Lord, so now as we continue, we pray that you would convict us of our sin, Remind us of our need to be diligent and disciplined in our lives. Comfort us, Lord, in our failures. Remind us of your grace, which abounds and is limitless and far exceeds any sin of ours. Let us be reminded this day of the blood of Christ. Let us be reminded of the cross of Christ. His forgiveness for sinful man. And Lord, let us turn our hearts and minds to him. And may your name be glorified in our midst. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Hopefully you noticed, as reading it all together, how this all fits together. We know the story from a few weeks ago as the disciples are having an argument about who will be the greatest in the kingdom when the kingdom finally arrives in its fullness. And Jesus instead shows them a child as as an example of humility, an example of, of even hearkening back to one of his original teachings in the Sermon on the Mount the importance of what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of God is one who is humble. Not seeking greatness, rather because of their understanding of their own sinfulness and the power and beauty of a true, holy, creator God, then bow themselves before Him in worship. And then how that plays in between a group of people Who will be inhabitants of this kingdom, this kingdom that Christ has inaugurated or beginning by His incarnation or His coming in the flesh, but then will not be fulfilled in totality until He returns to claim the bride. And so until that time of in-between, the church is made up of sinful men and women, while being renewed in the Spirit and being formed more and more in the image of Christ through the work of the sanctifying work of the Spirit and their pursuit of holiness, those men and women will continue to sin. So the question then, or the teaching, turns to something that no one wants to hear and that no one wants to talk about. And that's what happens when that actually happens. And so, this naturally leads to the idea of confrontation. This is what he's addressing. What happens when someone sins against you within the house of faith? And there's two types of people generally noted by one scholar. The individual Who likes conflict too much, and the individual who will flee from conflict no matter the cost. And and those two types of people bring that into the church, and generally what you have is an amplifying of those extremes. Because as to not offend someone, even if I feel I've been sinned against, I'm going to wish it away. Or or pretend like it didn't happen. And on the other aspect, because of, of this idea of conflict as good, I'm going to make sure that everything that even might slightly be perceived as being offended, I'm going to pursue it as a dog on a bone. But Christ is actually laying out a very simple way in which believers are supposed to approach each other. I dare say, the more we go through this today, we'll probably see, I hope, how wrong we do it and how easy it is to do it wrong because of a desire is to not offend or because of a desire or a pursuit of what seems to be a pursuit of, of keeping everything, um, making sure everyone is, is, is right where we want them to be. But look what he writes. In these first couple of verses, particularly 15, 16, it's, it's in, in, the, in the Greek, it's, it's every word almost can be taken and kind of looked at. It's very simple and straightforward. If your brother sins against you, stop. One of the things that, that in, in English in particular is, if your brother sins against you, can be taken is that where we like to put a question mark behind it rather than a comma almost treating it as a something that has a potential to happen but probably won't but the way that it's written is that is to the the reader to understand this will happen You, you can easily translate this verse as when this happens so when you're reading it or when you're thinking about it if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault so if or when when this happens and your brother sins against you uh, um, the, the word for brother is an, in essence at, at the heart of the word is is to say of the same womb born of the same mother and so it, it includes brothers sisters things like that and of course we know in the theology of the new testament we're all born again in the spirit And so whenever you see in the New Testament where the word brethren is used or brother or it's referring in that sense, it's including the household of faith, both men and women. And so in case the ladies were like, well, this is just for the guys to deal with today. But it's including anyone who is born again into the house of faith, those who have faith in Christ. And so that's, that's who's being addressed. So if, so when I say, if your brother or sister sins against you, I'm not paraphrasing or adding or feminizing the text or anything like that. It's true to what's being said. Anyone within the household of faith, male or female, if, when they sin against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him, Alone. So as these sheep of the same fold, as these little ones, as disciples in Christ, and if one sins against the other or goes astray, if, if you're looking at the, the former teaching of, of the lost sheep, if they go astray, go to them, pursue them, to tell them their fault. Now, again, this one, I'm stopping and going back. Reading full and stopping and going back. Because I want to go back to, if someone sins against you, think clearly for a moment about what constitutes being sinned against. And don't often do this. This is, this is supposed to be a, a, a one-way conversation. But maybe some nods of heads or shakes. If someone disagrees with you, have they sinned against you? Okay, I'm I'm just going to answer that one for you. Make myself dizzy. I did that a little too emphatically. So can we agree then if someone disagrees with you, they haven't sinned against you? And so let's kind of go a little bit further. If someone, say, doesn't want to do something that you want to do, have they sinned against you, or have they just annoyed you? And that leads to my next question. If someone annoys you, as an annoying person, if someone annoys you, have they sinned against you? full body hedge. Correct? Correct. See, sin is clearly marked, and this is where it's a helpful to to say, looking back on the law of God and kind of the Decalogue and things like that. If someone has sinned, we don't don't really need to go through the exercise we just went through. And yet, so often, as an officer of a church, people will come to you for these very type of things. This person, I said this, they said this instead... I, I want to do Matthew 18. To where you have to go, like, like the, well, you mean this, Oh, you mean the, you don't mean like the lost sheep where you're pursuing them? Do you mean like where you're humble? No, no not that one either? Oh, you mean, oh, you mean Matthew 18? Because again, in my, most people's minds, this five verses is the only part of Matthew 18. So then once you specify, oh, that, that Matthew 18. Well, then you go all the way back to the top and said, well, if you really believe this instant that you're telling me about is a sin, have you gone and tell them their fault between you and them alone? A hundred percent of the time, the answer is no. And I, I dare say... That is the normative way with how people deal with issues like this. Not just in our church, but in many churches. When someone offends you, or maybe it's even, let's, let's do away with the annoying, the offending, real sin, someone sinned against you. It almost seems to never happen these days where the person takes this for its word and goes to that other person. Doesn't speak to anyone else, but just goes to the person and says, you've done this, said this, you've hurt me, this is what you said, this is what you did. It almost never happens. The way the modern church does it, is that they go to a network of people first to tell them this is what was said to me, this is what was done to me by whoever the other party might be. And now that network of people gives their advice. And then now there's a spider web effect of going from the center out where now all of those people go and tell their spouses or someone else, did you know so-and-so did this to what's their face? Sorry, I don't have it. <laughs> And then now it spreads, because now they've told their spouse, their friends, maybe their neighbor. And then it just keeps going. And then this person here, do they find out from someone coming to them individually to tell them that they were sinned against or hurt. They find out from an adjacent member of the spider web or whispers and gossip. And yes, that's what that is. The moment you take what you believe to be a sin that someone has committed against you to a bunch of other people, you are a gossip And it's creating significant problems. And and so I'll take a a stop there to say, it's different if you're confused. By did did they just disagree with me and I really have a problem with disagreeing? And then you go to someone and say, hey, someone disagreed with me. And this is what was said. And I'm kind of irritated about it. But there's some anonymity left between that conversation. Am am I out of my mind? Or or is this real? And then a person could say, no, I believe you are truly out of your mind. That sounds like a disagreement. And then a person can be like, hey, okay. And then hopefully they still go to that person and go, hey, I was thinking this about what you said. You know, I, I think I was overreacting. I just wanted you to know that. Great, no problem. But then if that council says, no, I think that might, be, that might be real. But keeping anonymity, names not spoken, no gossip to be be spread, then make sure you do go to that person one-on-one and say, hey, this is Matthew 18. Matthew 18 in the hole. Not, I'm, I'm not coming after you with witnesses behind me and then the church is all in the vans behind me. I'm just saying... I'm coming to you one-on-one to let you know, I believe you've sinned against me. This is how you've hurt me. But too often, the norm is, the person who is the offending party doesn't even know they're the offending party. But everyone else does. And so then you come to church on Sunday, and you see one individual, the one who has told the whole church what this person did, not taking the Lord's Supper, And the other person is just, they have no idea. This creates ruin in congregations. And it is a very simple process at the heart. When you view each other properly as kingdom citizens, as born again of the same womb of the Holy Spirit, of the blood of Christ... And you understand, you as a sinner, and you know yourself properly, that as a sinner, you're sinning against people. And so when someone sins against you, it's not the most extraordinary thing that's ever happened in your life. It's like, of course, they sinned against me. They're sinners. And out of desire, because if one has sinned and has not repented... They are by nature, to look to the former parable, one who has gone astray. And so, the mission of the one who is going is a rescue mission. That's the language that's used, the idea of you're rescuing your brother back to yourself. You're rescuing them back to the fellowship. The whole point is, they've gone astray. They have sinned. And they are not repentant. And so I'm going to go and through the Holy Spirit's power that we both have, I'm going to present the case for their sin. And if it's true sin, by the power of the Spirit and the convincing of the Word of God, they will be convicted and they will repent. That is the blueprint when Jesus is saying... If they sin against you, go tell them their fault between you and him alone. Just them, just the two of you. And then this next part if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So that's the again, the blueprint. You're sinned against. You don't tell any the whole church, you don't tell anyone, maybe you seek some counsel to make sure, keeping anonymity of the situation. And then you go to that person. And you tell them, you've sinned against me and this is how you've done it. And again, what manner are you doing this in? And this is where we talk about the conflict. Some people like it too much. Some people flee from it, like the plague. And yet at the same time, it's humility, love, a heart of bringing someone back from sinful behavior. The whole point is to reconcile someone back to God and you as the offended party showing a heart of forgiveness. Your whole point of pursuing this is forgiveness, not retribution. Let me say it again. I got a few minutes, okay, so, but I'm going to say it again. The whole point of this is love and rescue and forgiveness and not retribution. It's not a, well, I'm going to go have to (laughs) discipline someone again today from Matthew 18, which consists of five verses, and I'm going to go ahead and take this to somebody right away. No. This is the idea of forgiveness. This is a theology of forgiveness. And if you recall you've been forgiven quite extraordinarily. That's the heart of this. Forgiving the repentant brother or sister. And so the pursuit is a theology of forgiveness which creates a practice of the forgiving Christian man and woman. Now, that's What's the right word? That's cookie cutter. This is how it works when the offended party goes to the offensive party and presents the case. They're immediately repentant and they go, I forgive you and I, you know, thank you and all these things. And it's a hug, or if it's guys, maybe it's a high five, whatever it might be. It's too much hugging. I'm just. And so. But there's never enough hugging. But But that, sadly, the blueprint is not most often the case. And so, Jesus continues. But if he does not listen. And by the way, the word listen... You know, the idea of hearing with your ears and things kind of like that. And when you've gained your brother, these are all tied together with the aspect of this, of this change, what's called repentance. We know what initial repentance is, is this repentance that is born of the power of the spirit of a sinful man and woman coming before a holy God and repenting of their sinfulness and the rebellion. But then life of the Christian man and woman is one of daily repentance for sins that are committed. And so the repentant lifestyle is a discipline of the Christian man and woman to where you're training yourself by the power of the Spirit and the Word and through practice that when you are considering your own sinfulness, you're not offended at the idea that you might have sinned against somebody. And yet most often the case, if you go to somebody and say, this is what you did... Their response is actually offense, not confession, not repentance. And so Jesus, continuing in this teaching, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is taking from the law in the book of Deuteronomy. And so the case continues. Hopefully in 15, you've gained your brother or your sister through this interaction, through this pursuit of love and forgiveness, gained them back. But if they refuse, then this next part is to go to two or three who more than likely, the way this is misused, is that there are two or three witnesses that witnessed the initial sin if there's a sin against an individual. There are witnesses there, and so no those witnesses, since they saw it, they're going to go back the second time, and they're going to be like, no, we were there. That's not what this is. This is still the individual that is going to bring two other people, part of the, the church, part of the fellowship, with them, to hear them tell that person one more time, this is what you've done, this is how you've sinned against me. And so you bring the witnesses to hear the case in a almost a, a judicial manner. And so this is, this is one of those things, the two or three that are coming are to hear the account of it and then hopefully see that brother or sister repent. But then if they don't repent still with two more from the same inaugurated kingdom, Citizens of that kingdom, born-again believers, but also sinners who acknowledge that they are sinners and know they're going to sin against each other. If they still refuse, what do you do? Well, you don't write a blog about it. You don't gossip about it and you don't can you believe this is still a rescue mission but it's about to turn and so the two or three is not something someone did something publicly and so we I've initially go to that person No, this is still a private matter that happened, but then two or three are brought. The public issue is a bit of a different issue. You can see this clearly when he's talking about the Peter and Paul instance in Galatia, where where Peter sins publicly by the way he is hypocritical to the Gentile believers. And so Paul rebukes him publicly. And it's pretty clear from the no follow-up of that that Peter took that exactly like this and repented of it. But this individual matter still is bringing witnesses, and it means the, the, the phrase where it's talking about um, every charge may be established by the evidence. The evidence is, 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 a, is a word for, for ear, and so it's like the idea of that they were there to hear the charges, they were there to understand it, and then so now you have these two or three witnesses, but this person who is claiming to be a Christian still is unrepentant of the sin that has been presented to them. So then they continue, Christ continues, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So you take the individual, and you're rebuffed. And so you get two people who you know are believers. Hopefully they know this individual as well. And you go to them, and you say, "This remember this charge? I'm now bringing it with two or three witnesses. Please repent. No. I haven't sinned or whatever it might be, well, then it goes, bring it to the church. Now, there's a couple of things happening here. This is the second time that Jesus is going to use the word, the Greek word for church, in in this gospel. The other was chapter 16. And what's interesting is you're going to see parallels to things that are said in 16 to how this portion of 18 ends, particularly with the loosing and binding. Now, when I say this escalates, is because if there's something that I'm trying to communicate through a theology and practice of forgiveness, is that there also has to be a theology and practice of repentance. Uh, The the sinful man and woman who is is born anew in Christ, you are still going to sin. And if someone is earnestly coming to you, this is what you've done. And you know you've done it. And you know you've hurt them denial is an unchristian response brushing it off as someone being too emotional or too this when someone's bringing real pain to you is an unchristian response you see this most often in marriages if there's anyone who's married in the room or has been married How unforgiving can you be? How stubbornly unrepentant can you be? There's no greater marker of the life of the Christian man and woman than within their own marriage. It's the proving ground. Because there's no one you're going to sin against more. Because there's no one you're with more. And since you're both sinners, you're going to see it the most. And yet in that relationship, rigid unrepentance and rigid lack of forgiveness bring ruin. And so is it any surprise when people you see once a week... And they sin against you, and you just go, not that big of a deal. I'll let it slide. Or suddenly become so excited about Matthew 18, almost as I never get to apply this in my marriage. I'm going after everyone else. But the reality is, repentance, forgiveness, these are the hallmarks of what it means to be one defined by humility in Christ, who humbled himself, who humiliated himself with purpose, walked in the flesh of man the entire time a state of humiliation, in order that he might purchase redemption for his. People, You and I. When you forget how you've been forgiven, when you forget how you're called to repentance on a daily sin-by-sin sin moment, and you forget the depth of the forgiveness that God has shown to you, that's when this all falls apart. Pursue this as it's presented in the Scriptures. Rescuing a brother and sister. Or, if you're the offending party. I didn't expect that right because I kept talking about the offense. When you're the offending party and someone comes to you and your natural response is, it's time to get stubborn. No. And it's not time to get proud. and It's not time to get angry. It's time to show humility. And if you've really done it, it's time to ask for forgiveness. It's time to repent. Those are the marks of the work of the Spirit in your life because this last portion is showing what it looks like to not have the marks of the Spirit in your life. Namely, bring it to the assembly. If they refuse to listen to the one, they refuse to listen to the witnesses, then you take it to the assembly itself. Yes, that means coming on a Lord's Day and saying in detail, this person has committed this sin against this person. These other two people went to them. They still refused. Now we bring it to the church and we're asking this person, the offending party, to repent and now, now the whole church knows. Do you see the difference? It doesn't start with gossip and the whole church finds out and then the offending party finds out. It's the offending party and, and the, the offended party, then a couple of witnesses, then the church itself. And, the, and the, there's no denying that the language here is just saying the assembly. That's all the word means. The, then bring it to the assembly. And now you're bringing the weight of your new family, born again by the Spirit, all, all as a family, all 99 that have not gone astray, looking to the one and saying, please repent. Have you ever heard of that? Happen? Have you ever seen it happen? It sounds pretty rare. Like a rare jewel. And yet at the heart of it, if it were to go to that level, and if a person were to be at the solemn assembly, and they repent, what a witness... To the love of God's people for one and another. What a celebration that the 99 who have not gone astray now welcome the one back as the shepherd does. And there's rejoicing. Our lost, astray sheep, brother, sister, has returned. It's the whole point of it. Bring them back into fellowship of the saints from repenting of this sin. Bring them back into right fellowship with God. And it's a celebration, not of this individual's decisions, not of you being able to go through all the steps that Christ has described, but it's a celebration of the proof of the work of the spirit in that person's life. And that proof gives celebration and encouragement to all of us who are sinners going, it works. Repentance works through love through humility, through pursuit. But Then he continues. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let it be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You need to reconcile a few things. What Jesus is saying here is don't treat them like I treat tax collectors and sinners because we know that was part of... He's saying like, Tax collectors and sinners in first century Israel couldn't, were outside of the fellowship. And so he's saying, if this happens, if we go through all these steps and the people refuse to repent, if you can imagine a scene like that on a Lord's Day and the individual says, no, I don't repent. Then, after that step, what is being described here is what the word is called is excommunication and it means to cast them out of the fellowship you're now to treat them as one who is no longer a brother or a sister in Christ there's a few instances of this in the new testament when you have kind of language like from 1 John of someone going out from them and then never returning because they were not of them, and so because they never returned to the fold, they were viewed then as a false believer or an unbeliever or however you might want to describe it or a wolf in sheep's clothing. But even here, in this instance of removing them from the fellowship of the church is still not retributive in nature. It's still with the desire, now that that person is no longer partaking of the fellowship of the saints, no longer able to participate in the prayer, in the ministry of the word, at the assembly, no longer be reminded of the sacrifice of Christ and looking forward to his resurrection, I'm sorry, looking forward to his return when taking the Lord's Supper as a communal meal. They are no longer allowed to do any of those things because they're re- not, they are unrepentant when clear sin has been brought to them. That rarely happens. I'll give you the actual blueprint for modern evangelicalism. Someone sins against someone. They go to them. They leave and go to another church. That's modern evangelicalism in the West. And then they'll go to another church. And then the same thing will happen there. go to another church because there's so many churches it's easier to just go nope and go somewhere else and so in the first century not so easy the the young man in Corinth who we often reference as this example of excommunication couldn't have walked to another house church in Corinth and just gone oh I'm coming here now I just moved down the street. No, everyone knew. No, you have no right. Unless you repent. A famous story from church history. A man who's considered responsible for leading Augustine to faith, who many consider the greatest mind outside of the apostles and Jesus In the history of the church. Well, Ambrose was famous for more than that. As the leader in the church, the emperor of Rome massacred thousands in Ephesus in a rebellion. Did that beginning of the week, and on the Lord's day, showed up to go to church. Ambrose walked outside, stood in front of the emperor of Rome, and said, you may not come in. And then he listed the deeds as a murderer. The emperor got on his knees and repented. And he was allowed back into the fellowship. Even the point of being cast out of the assembly, is supposed to be something that brings that person to a point of understanding their need to repent and be made right with God. And showing a life, a theology of repentance. And then the church would be one to give forgiveness. Church discipline is about the care and the love of unrepentant believers in Christ. Even the last part of casting out is meant to bring them back into the fellowship of the saints. I pray, and I know I've gone over, and I knew I would. I I was like, maybe I should take two weeks to do this, maybe five weeks, but... The reality is, what I want from you is don't be the extreme of never facing conflict. Don't be the extreme of thinking conflict is a spiritual gift. Rather, take this road that Christ has given us. Go to one another, not everybody else. Go to each other. This is prescribed for the health of the church. This is prescribed for the exercise of those who are following Christ in this life. I pray, as history has shown, churches that practice this with one another with love. And reconciliation and rescue at the heart of it flourish. Take these teachings to heart and employ them in your life from now until Christ calls you home. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the perfect triune creator God through his own good pleasure has rescued his people for himself through no work of our own through no good good deeds No good thoughts. Before his glory and his glory alone. May we put away pride. Envy. Anger. Fear. And when we deal with each other. We would have in front of us always. Love. Forgiveness. Repentance. And mercy. May your people. Shine because their lives reflect a true belief in the teachings of our Lord and Savior. May you lift up and encourage your people, Lord, through the power of the Spirit and your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you.